Hi, I'm Chelsea, the Christian Nutritionist. Welcome to the Christian Health Club podcast. We are here to fire you up in spirit, mind, and body so that you can get out into the world and be everything God created you to be. Welcome to the club. Here we go. Hello, my friend. Welcome back to the club. How are you today? We are talking about oxidative priority, or more simply put, the order in which your body burns its fuel. Why do you need to know this? Because this affects the way your body burns or doesn't burn fat. This is yet another layer, another angle to understanding metabolism. And as you can tell, there are a lot of angles and layers and facets of metabolism. We talked about leptin a few weeks ago, and so I have to tell you and give you an update that I played around with that for a few days. I decided to break my fast earlier than normal to see how that went, um, as that is recommended during a leptin um, sensitivity or trying to break leptin resistance. Not that I think I have leptin resistance, but as I told you then, I like to play around with things. So I broke my fast between 7 and 7.30 in the morning, and I did my walk after I ate, which usually I walk while I'm fasted. I did that three days in a row, and I have to tell you, I have never been so tired in my life. It was the weirdest thing. My appetite didn't increase like it did for some of the ladies in the Christian Health Club, but I was ridiculously exhausted. Like I needed some naps. And one night I was so tired that I got in bed at 7.30 and I read a little bit and I was dead asleep by 8.15. I mean, I usually go to bed early, but that was pretty early. (laughs) It was still light outside. You know, I was thinking, gosh, I was so tired. I was thinking, this is what it must feel like to have serious hypothyroid issues. Like can't scrape yourself off the floor tired. And I just felt such compassion for those of you suffering with that. You know, having that little window into what that must feel like for you for a few days. Um, And so I abandoned that experiment. (laughs) because I was like, uh, I I don't have time for this. Now, that's funny, because as I told you in the leptin podcast, you have to anticipate transition, right? Anytime you're making a change like that. And I would advise any client to stick it out and just get over that hump. But I mean, I was doing it for kicks, not because I think I have a leptin issue. I just like, you know, experimenting and see how seeing how it goes. And I saw how it goes all right. It took me down and I was like, I ain't got time for this. If I really thought I had leptin resistance, okay. But just doing it for funsies, uh, no, no time for that. Like my husband often says, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So I have resumed my normal schedule of waking, drinking water, then coffee, then stepping outside around sunrise, Then going on my walk, which lasts about an hour, and I'm getting that good morning UVA sunshine, and then breaking my fast when I get home. And that feels really good for me. I wanted to share that 
with you, not to deter you from doing a leptin protocol if you think you need it, but to share that just in case you may not, you know, and despite the hype that you may be seeing and hearing about it right now, and maybe you're not at all. Maybe my podcast was the first exposure to leptin um, information that you've had. I definitely had some feedback like that. But in my world, leptin is everywhere right now. And so you will likely be seeing more about it if you have not already. A lot of us in the holistic health space are, you know, we catch wind to the trends or new topics or new science, new discoveries, sometimes years before they hit mainstream. I remember before keto really hit mainstream, I was at my friend's lake house gosh, this was so long ago, my kids were little. And I remember telling my friends about it and being like, you know, it's cool. And it has its place. But don't be wooed to feeling like you got to jump on that bandwagon. I saw a bunch of practitioners around me jumping on that keto bandwagon, you know, like with real definitive pro views about it. And I was like, in my mind, I was like, that is just not sustainable. You know, same with carnivore, which I love as a therapeutic protocol, you know, um, even diets with a, a more animal protein slant, but straight up carnivore, pretty hard to sustain long term. You know, we can most definitely use these dietary approaches therapeutically as a, you know, as a jumpstart. Um, but if you noticed many, if not most hardcore keto promoting people have backed off a little bit and now promote carb cycling, you know, with that for better metabolic flexibility. And here I am about to go into my seventh year of teaching feast to fast, which is all about the ability to burn both fat and carbs for metabolic flexibility and for sustainability. Because if you're anything like me, you want to be able to have chips with your guacamole, you know, or a margarita, or ice cream, ice cream with your kids, um, or birthday cake, which by the way, this podcast is coming out on my birthday. It's my birthday week. And you can bet I'll be having champagne and cake and a fantastic time with my family and friends. Heck yeah. And I don't want to sweat that. I don't want to feel guilty about that. I don't want to make let that make me feel like I've gone off the rails. I just want to eat some cake. Yo, <laughs> I want to feast. And that is totally normal and okay. Sometimes we feast and sometimes we fast. And that is really the whole crux behind Feast to Fast is having a dietary approach that is sustainable, that works with real life, and that you don't have to be perfect because none of us is perfect. And I think we know that, yet we beat ourselves up for not eating perfectly all the time. And that just steals your joy and it steals your mind space. And I want your mind space on the Lord. So that's what we do in Feast to Fast. And we are about to start that together in the club this week. And if you need any of that, that mind piece, getting that drama out of your head, something sustainable to do, you should join us in the club for that and so much more. Okay, now let's kind of circle back. I didn't mean to go off on that whole diatribe. I was just going to tell you about my leptin experiment. But it was just a good opportunity to remind you not to feel obligated to try a new diet or approach just because it's hot right now, you know, especially if what you're doing is working, like what I've been doing is working for me, right? Sometimes I think we have FOMO, you know, fear of missing out, or we think we should be eating a certain way, even though what we're doing is just really fine for us. If fasting till later in the morning or noon works for you, then that's great. 
if you've been doing that and it's not working or you did it for a while and you've hit a plateau, well, then it might be worth experimenting a little. Okay. And also, so in the addition to the possibility of your appetite increasing, if you try it, I'll add the possibility of your energy going a little wonky and you being more fatigued. That's actually a common side effect when you change something about your diet or diet related habit. You know, as a zeitgeiber or timekeeper, food has impact on the way your system works or doesn't work. And I guess it told my other zeitgeibers that since we're eating earlier, we need to go to sleep earlier or sleep more. <laughs> and listen, I don't need any help in that department. I go to sleep early just fine on my own. Um, but I will tell you something interesting. So I was sharing this experience um, about getting so tired eating earlier. Um, I was sharing that in our Tuesday Zoom call in the Christian Health Club. And one of the members said that she experienced the exact same thing, but she had a brilliant idea and I should have been doing this, but she made a point to get sunset light exposure. And she said that did the trick and got things back on track for her. Um, and so, you know, of all the light points of the day, I'm probably worst about getting sunset light, which is just silly and lazy. And I need to be better about that. But that was very smart of her to do. She was helping her body recognize proper sleep time by getting that sunset exposure. Way to go, Michelle, getting your zeitgeibers in order. Okay, let's get to today's topic, oxidative priority, which actually works beautifully alongside talking about metabolic flexibility. Um, in fact, I'm gonna introduce this topic of oxidative priority into Feast to Fast. We haven't really talked about it like this, um, you know, we always talk about the way that we burn carbs and sugar. And I've talked a lot about that here over the last few year, years as well. But this is kind of a matter of zero, zeroing in on it a little bit more, you know, kind of holding up a magnifying glass to it, if you will. And like I said, at the beginning um, of this podcast, just adding another layer of understanding. We also covered this topic in the Christian Health Practitioner Program in the School of Christian Health and Nutrition. We teach it in the breath module in a segment called the breath of metabolism. I'm telling you that breath module is fire, as my son would say. And you might be wondering why would we teach it in that module and not the food module? And that's a good question. For one, the food module in the school is an absolute beast. <laughs> There's so much that we cover in there, but breath, the breath module is a natural place to discuss it too, because speaking of fire, we need oxygen to burn our food as energy. Okay. Burning is basically another term for oxidation, oxidation of fuels, burning fuels to make energy. This is the metabolic process. You add oxygen to the carbons from food to make energy. Okay, now hang with me for a sec, we're gonna get nerdy. Carbs and fats are made of carbon chains or chains of carbons, which are formed during the photosynthesis process. This is how God designed the earth to make food. It's just amazing. And so when these carbons that we get from carbs and fats are combined with oxygen in the cell and are oxidized, they release, guess what? Electrons. And what does our body run on? Electrons. 
We need those electrons from food combined with oxygen to make ATP, which is the energy our cells use to work. Okay, this is all done by the mitochondria um, in the cell, the little energy making factories inside of our cells. So your mitochondria need electrons to create the energy that makes your body work. Now, as I've said many times, and we'll remind you over and over, we are supposed to get most of our electrons by being outside in the sun and connected to the earth. But today we're just focusing on the way we get electrons from food, okay? And this is why if you remember me telling you in the leptin podcast how neurosurgeon Dr. Jack Cruz says the body doesn't count calories, it counts electrons. And that lepton, leptin is the electron accountant because you need electrons to make ATP, the energy that runs our body. And if your body doesn't think it has enough electrons to make ATP, it will slow down the metabolic process and hoard electrons in your fat to make sure it has enough on hand, okay? But you need breath. You need oxygen in place to make this happen. So the way we breathe is very important in the way that we make energy and the way that we release energy. Remember that 84% of the energy we burn off is released through breath, through our exhale in the form of carbon dioxide. So we breathe in oxygen. Take a deep breath with me here. And that is O2. And it leaves as carbon dioxide, which is CO2. Those carbon molecules are leaving the body, right? So our body's keeping those electrons and releasing the carbons. So our exhaled breath is heavier than our inhaled breath. Now, I mean, I know this is nerdy, but... I just think this is the coolest thing to understand. <laughs> My mind is constantly blown the more I learn about God, uh, the way God made our body. Okay, so I really, I just kind of had to give you all that and set that up so we can talk about oxidative priority, right? So you've got to have oxygen, oxygen, oxidative, burning fuels, all right? And so now we're going to talk about the oxidative priority or the order in which our body tends to burn fuel. We know that our two main fuel sources are carbohydrates and fats. That's what our body wants to use for to make energy to make ATP. But anytime we put something in our body, it has to decide how to use it. And that includes protein and that includes alcohol. And we're also going to talk about exogenous ketones. Okay, because it is a source of energy. And, so, and some of you take those. So when it comes to oxidative priority, our body has to take care of the most volatile fuels first, okay? And a lot of that has to do with storage capacity. So for example, the body doesn't have a way to store alcohol. There is zero storage capacity. And so it has to be dealt with immediately, okay? Which means what? Your body has to prioritize the oxidation of alcohol um, ahead of carbohydrates and fats. Okay. This is also true of exogenous ketones, which you may not know what those are, but those are ketones that you eat or drink. Okay. Our body can make ketones. That's kind of the point of a ketogenic diet, making ketones when we're primarily burning fat. 
And those are a great fuel for energy and for cognition. When we make them by um, being, you know, by burning fat, they're called endogenous ketones inside. Endogenous means made within the body. Okay. But when we eat or drink them, they're called exogenous, which is coming from outside the body. All right. Now, a lot of people take exogenous ketones because they like those benefits of energy and sharp brain function. But I think a lot of people think that those are helping you burn fat. But you're not burning your own fat, you're burning exogenous ketones. Does that make sense? Um, And the body doesn't have a lot of storage capacity for those either. So those would be next in the order of priority if you are taking those. So I just, I, I don't know that that applies to a lot of you, but it might apply to some of you. I know that taking exogenous ketones was pretty popular um, a few years ago, especially when keto really hit its mainstream stride. But um, it's, I'm not saying it's wrong to do it. Just understand how it falls in order of oxidative priority. Okay, next in oxidative priority order is carbohydrates. Because carbohydrates turn to sugar, and sugar is a fairly volatile fuel. It's dangerous to have more than about a teaspoon of sugar in your blood at a time, so the body needs to take care of it ASAP. What's not used right away gets stored. Okay, so we store uh, sugar or glucose, that's the proper scientific name, glucose, in our liver and our muscles. All right, but those are limited storage tanks. We can only store up to about 2,000 calories. It's more for men than women um, because men have more muscle, right? So excess sugar gets stored as fat. So when, the, when that liver tank is full, when the muscle tanks are full, then the excess sugar that you get from carbs go to your adipose tissue, to your fat tissue, because fat basically has unlimited storage capacity. It's the biggest storage tank on the body. All right. And so that makes fat the last on the oxidative priority list. Fat is not a volatile fuel like the other like the other ones. Um, the body doesn't have to use it right away. So it's the last to get dealt with. Okay, now let's talk about protein. Protein isn't used as a source of fuel by the body unless it's necessary. Your body can make sugar or glucose from protein if it has to, but it's not really what your body wants to do. It's not your body's favorite way to use protein. It wants to use protein to build muscle, hormones, enzymes, and lots of other things. Plus, protein is the most challenging macronutrient to turn into ATP, into that energy. And so your body really only does that if there's not enough fuel from glucose or fat, all right? And so as far as storage capacity goes for protein, your body doesn't have a lot of room to, I don't know, quote unquote, store protein because it's using protein to build your body. If you want to talk about storing it, it's, it's like in your cells, it's, it's your whole body, right? Um, that is what is used to make your body, the structure of your body and all those things I talked about. Excess protein or protein what is beyond what is required for muscle repair and other bodily functions, you know, all the things that we talked about that protein does, anything above what the body needs is metabolized by the liver as urea, 
and excreted in the urine. Now I get this question a lot. A lot of people ask me if you can eat too much protein um, and if it's bad for the kidneys. Number one, it's really hard to eat too much protein. It is so filling, which is why it is the, macrono the macronutrient to prioritize, especially if you are um, working on weight loss. Prioritize your protein. As far as damaging your kidneys, I've heard expert researcher and scientist Dr. Sue Phillips say time and again that protein does not damage the kidneys. The reason we hear to back off protein for the kidneys is if someone already has kidney issues and therefore may not be able to process it as well. But it's not the protein that damages the kidney. It's the already under-functioning kidneys that may not be able to handle the protein. Does that make sense? Okay. So metabolic oxidative priority is number one, alcohol, number two, exogenous ketones, number three, carbs or sugar. Um, number four, I guess you would put protein there only if your body needs to make sugar. And then finally fat. Okay. So if you're having a hamburger, fries and a beer, the body's going to prioritize the beer, then the bun and fries. It's going to get the excess sugar out of the bloodstream and into the storage tanks of the liver and muscle. It's going to use that meat to build your body. And lastly, fat. Okay, and if your blood sugar and sugar tanks are already full, that those bun and fry carbs will get stored as fat. All right, now let's talk about this kind of, I want you to picture something in your mind. Okay, I want you to picture four fuel tanks from left to right. If this was a video cast, I would share this photo I found that illustrates this really well. Um, I did send it out in my Sunday send out email. And if you're in Feast of Fast, you'll see it too. Um, but it's really helpful for understanding this. But just visualize four tanks in order. The number one tank is blood sugar. Number two tank is stored sugar, okay, or in the liver and muscles, so those storage tanks. The number three storage tank is fatty acids in the blood, and the last storage tank is body fat. Your four storage tanks, so imagine those from left to right. So the body prioritizes using sugar in the blood, then sugar that's stored in the liver and the muscles, then fatty acids in the blood, and then body fat. So that's three tanks ahead of burning your stored body fat. Now here's the deal and the good news. You don't have to completely exhaust each tank for it to burn the next fuel in line. So for instance, your liver doesn't have to be 100% depleted of stored sugar before it can burn some fat. Our bodies are meant to be metabolically flexible able to burn both fat and carbs efficiently and as needed, but it can't if those tanks are maxed out. Okay, in other words, if the tanks stay at a, a reasonable level, it can burn the next fuel in line. If they're full to the brim, it can't. So as you deplete the sugar in your blood, the stored sugar in your liver will be used to refill it. And once you start to draw down the sugars 
uh, stored in your liver, your body will turn to the fat in your blood and then start moving on to using your body fat for energy. Does that make sense? Now, the problem is most people eating a standard American diet or eating too much or eating too often keep those tanks topped off at all times, which prevents the body um, from getting much past that blood sugar and that liver sugar tank. So what's happening, you can't efficiently burn fatty acids in the blood, which can leave you with high triglycerides, and you can't burn body fat, which leaves you with a lot of body fat. And so your body gets stuck in this sugar burning mode, and your fat stays fat and getting fatter and you feel horrible. And this is what leads to diabetes, high blood pressure, obesity, overall inflammation. Okay, we got to keep those tanks at reasonable levels. So we can draw from them. So what do we do? Number one, be mindful about your alcohol intake because that's going to be your body's first priority, right? But let's talk about this a minute. Because you know me and I love me some vino. So you, like me, might be wondering, hmm, well, is it better to drink your adult beverage with or without your meal? Good question, right? At first blush, see what I did there? Blush wine, haha. At first blush, you might think without, like drinking your alcohol away from food, because it seems like it would get in the way of using your other fuels, right? So drinking it away from your meal, like before your meal, like while you're cooking dinner in the kitchen, say for instance, might be better because it's not going to hold up your food oxidation. However, when I did a little digging, I found that the process of metabolizing alcohol happens rather quickly, unless you're just really hitting the bottle hard. Um, so it's not like the alcohol is hanging around a long time and blocking it for the duration of your meal. And the consistent, the consensus is hands down that it's better to drink with your food. And in fact, I came across a study that shows food intake increases alcohol elimination rates anywhere from like 25 to 45%. So it helps you use it more quickly, which is really good to know right? And instinctively, I knew that I think a lot of us, you know, we hear to eat to, well, we hear to drink alcohol with our food. So it kind of slows down the way it hits our body, but um, it really helps it process it faster. And I remember when I interviewed um, Isela Kreglinger about her book, The Soul of Wine, which y'all that was a great book. It was on my holiday, um, my annual gift guide one year, it makes a great gift alongside a bottle of wine. But Isela comes from a family of winemakers, and she talked about, you know, growing up in that culture, she's German, um, you know, but of drinking wine regularly, but always around the table, always while they were eating, because it was meant to be enjoyed with the meal and with other people. That's a really lovely podcast, and it's episode 92 if you want to check it out. And if you love wine, you'll absolutely love it. It's called God and Wine. Another interesting thing is that alcohol has a pretty good thermic effect, meaning it burns energy while processing it, kind of like protein does. 
However, we do have to remember that alcohol does have calories. It has energy. It's actually seven calories per gram. So it sits right between um, carbs and protein, which are four calories per gram, and fat, which is nine calories per gram. Although protein's really lower, actually. It's more like mm, 3.4 or 5 calories per gram because it has such a high thermic effect. Okay, just a side note there. But we do have to be mindful about how that addition of energy from alcohol is, you know, contributing to our overall daily energy or caloric load, right? We don't want to overwhelm the body with energy. Um, and so also, you know, what does it offer? Some alcohol may have some polyphenols, um, but, you know, it doesn't have a lot of nutrition to speak of. And quite often can be filled with chemicals, uh, pesticides. Glyphosate is a real problem with wine and grain alcohols. And those things are worse than the actual alcohol, in my opinion. I mean, Bible people drink wine, okay? But they weren't ingesting glyphosate and chemicals. So you want to definitely go for high quality. When it comes to wine, I really like Scout and Cellar um, for their clean crafted wine. But the bottom line when it comes to alcohol is that you don't want to overdo it. And ideally, you want to have it with your food. Okay, number two. You want to keep your carbs moderated. Again, all carbohydrates turn to sugar. And if you're keeping your blood sugar and those sugar storage tanks full, it's going to be really hard for your body to burn fat. Now, I will say this, and I've said it before. You can be successful on either a lower carb or a lower fat diet. I personally think a low fat diet, a lower fat, higher carb diet is much more difficult and riskier. But if you were eating high carb and low fat and you didn't have a lot of incoming fatty acids to use, your body would have less to get through before burning your stored body fat. Does that make sense? If you've done Feast of Fast, you know that we talk about eating carbohydrates and fats in a seesaw fashion. When one is up, the other is down. And this is really the reason. When both are high, you get energy toxicity. You're topping off all the tanks all the time, which is what most of the American public does. And of course, this will block your body's need and ability to burn fat. But when you keep those carbohydrates moderated, we're not overdoing them, and this is what we this is really what we focus on in feast fast. Then you allow those lat those tanks a little bit down the line, the fat tanks, you give them the opportunity to be utilized as fuel. And that's really important. Okay, and the number three thing we want to talk about, and the thing that you can do to help you with this oxidative priority is fasting. Because there's nothing better for depleting your storage tanks than fasting. And this means fasting between meals and intermittent fasting. It is just wonderful for your body, mind, and spirit. So I would aim for between 12 to 16 hours. And again, you've got to consider your individual needs when it comes to fasting, like how long you're going to do it. Um, 16 hours is not right for everybody. Okay. I mean, my average fasting time is about 14 hours, right? Um, and you also need to, um, you know, consider what time you are breaking your fast. So if you are working on a, a leptin 
uh, trying to get leptin more sensitive, then you might want to break that earlier and fast more later in the day than earlier in the day. Okay. All right, my beautiful friends, I hope you found this enlightening and helpful. And I hope it builds on your understanding of how your metabolism works. You see, like, nothing is just one thing or completely straightforward. There's a lot to it. And so this is why I, you know, I really invite you um, that if you want to learn more, if you want to learn how to put it into practice in a practical way, to come join the Christian Health Club. This is where we dive deeper into this, right? So instead of me just talking about it, like we're talking about it together and understanding how to apply it and we're applying it together, putting it into practice. And so we're starting Feast to Fast this week. We have an incredible lineup of programs and activities and fellowship coming up toge together over the next well year we always have we have a wonderful schedule of activities over the year to keep you engaged and learning and putting these into practice for the good stewardship of your body and so i invite you to join us and i thank you for listening i hope you have a healthy and blessed week and i will talk to you soon Remember that my mom is an awesome nutritionist, but she's not a doctor. The information in this podcast is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. Always talk to your doctor before making changes to your nutrition or exercise program. Thanks for listening. Have a healthy and blessed week.